Welcome to Voices of Church Past. I am your host, Rob Barnard. We'll be reading from one of Luther's sermons, given on the Sunday after Christ's ascension. The text in which he will be remarking on is John chapter 15, verse 26. And it says 16, so it must go into chapter 16. So... <clears throat> The sermon is called A Sermon on the Comfort and of Admonition. Beloved, you have heretofore heard much about faith. Today you hear also about the witness of faith and of the cross that follows. Paul says to the Romans, The heart of man believeth unto righteousness. Romans 10.10 If one be pious, he must begin in his heart believe. That serves only unto godliness and is not enough for salvation. Therefore, one must also do what the Christian life requires, continually abide in that life. Hence, Paul adds, Thou shalt confess with thy mouth, Jesus is Lord. Thou shalt be saved. It is these two things that constitute our salvation, faith and the confession of faith. Faith rescues from sin, hell, Satan, death, and all misfortunes. Now when we have this, we have enough. We then let God live here that we may reach a hand to our neighbor and help him. Besides, God desires to have his name praised and his kingdom developed and extended. Therefore, we must praise his name, confess our faith, and win others to do the same so that God's kingdom may be extended and his name praised. Thus, faith must be exercised, worked, and polished. Be purified by fire like gold. Faith, the great gift and treasure from God, must express itself and triumph in the certainty that it is right before God and man, before angels, devils, and the whole world, just as a jewel was not to be concealed but to be worn in sight. So also will and must faith be born and exhibited, as is written in 1 Peter 1, 7. The proof of your faith being more precious than gold, that perisheth though it is proved by fire. Now by confession... I must take upon myself the load of Satan, hell, and death in the whole world. Kings and princes, popes and bishops, priests and monks. By faith, everything falls that reason can or ever has devised for the salvation of the soul. It must chastise the tricks of the whole world, and its jewels alone must be praised. The world cannot endure this. Therefore, it rushes in, destroys, kills, and says, It is expedient for you that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. Thus, the confession must break forth that God alone is the Savior. The same confession brings us into danger of losing our lives. And the Lord says later to the disciples, They shall put you out of the synagogues. One cannot paint the cross differently than it is here painted, that it's true color. But the cross of illness, to lie in bed at home ill, is nothing compared with the cross of persecution. The first is indeed suffering, but the suffering is golden when we are persecuted and put to death with it. Ignotomy. When our persecutors have the praise, when right and honor apparently are on their side, while shame and disgrace and injustice are on our side, compared with the world that wishes them thereby to have God's honor defended, then all the world says that we are served right, and that God and the scriptures and all the angels witness against us, there can be no right in our cause, and without trial we must be banished and isolated in shame and disgrace. 
So it was also with the lot of Christ. They put him to death in the most scornful and disgraceful way. Crucified between two thieves and murderers, he was regarded as the chief of sinners, and they said with the blasphemous words, I, he called himself God's son, let God help him now. But he wills it differently. Since he does not, God and all the angels must be against him. So God says in our gospel, they will kill you, and not in an ordinary way, but in an infamous manner. And all the world will say that they thereby offer God a service. It is indeed hard to hold and confess that God is gracious to us, and that we have a Savior who opposes all the world in its glitter and its shine. But let the struggle be as hard, as sharp as it will. Faith must express itself, even though we would like to have it otherwise. Faith must expect all this. Nothing follows its confession more surely than the cross. For it is certain to come to us, either in life or death, that all our doings will appear to be opposed to God and the Scriptures. It is better that it be learned during life from the people than from the devil at death. For the people cannot force it further than into the ears. But Satan has a pointed tongue that pierces the heart and makes the heart tremble. Satan torments you until you conclude that you are lost and ruined, that heaven and earth, God and all the angels are your enemies. This is what the prophet means in Psalm 6, 7 through 8, when he says, I am weary with my groaning. Every night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. My eye wasteth because of grief. It waxes old because all mine are adversaries. It is hard to endure this. Now you see how weak you are who are permitted to bear witness of this faith. One fears his wife, another his children and riches, a third fears himself. Faith is in vain where it does not continue steadfast to the end. Christ says in Matthew 10, through 24 But he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Hence it is better to experience persecution here than punishment at the end. If one flees persecution, there is no faith in his heart, only a dead knowledge erroneous belief without sap and strength and marrow and bone. But where there is true living faith, it presses forward through sword and fire. Let's now notice how the Lord comforts his disciples. He says, when the comforter has come, that we may under no circumstances despair, Christ says, I will send you a comforter, even one who is almighty. He calls the Holy Spirit here a comforter, for although both my sins and the fear of death make me weak and timid, he comes and stirs up the courage in my heart and says, Ho! Cheer up! Thus he triumphs courage into us. He encourages us in a friendly, comforting manner not to despair before death, but to cheerfully go forward, even though we had ten necks for the executioner. It says, I, although I have sinned, yet I am rid of my sins, and if I had still more so that they would overwhelm me, I would hope that they should do me no harm, not that one should feel his sins, for the flesh must experience them, but the spirit overcomes and suppresses the difference in timidity and conducts us through them. He is powerful enough to do that. Therefore, Christ says further, whom I will send you from the Father. For he... The Father is the person that takes the initiative, and I am the Son, and from us the Holy Spirit proceeds, and the three persons are one and one essence, with equal power and authority, as he better expresses it when he says, The Spirit of truth who proceeded from the Father, 
That is as much to say, he who will comfort you is almighty and the Lord over all things. How can the creatures now harm us if the Creator stands by us? Notice how great the comfort of the Holy Spirit is. Now let all the Turks attack us. As long as he is our guard and rear guard, there is no danger. John also says in his first epistle, 3, 19-20, Hereby we shall know that we are of the truth and shall assure our heart before him. Because if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Likewise, following chapter, verse 4, he says, Ye are, my, are of God, my little children, and overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So the Lord now says, Him will I send unto you, so that nothing can harm you. Is this not comfort? Who would not be fearless and cheerful in view of this? Christ calls him the spirit of truth, that is, where he is, comes, there is a rock foundation through and through. The real truth, neither falsehood nor hypocrisy is there. The spirit is not hypocritical, but wherever he is not, there is nothing but hypocrisy and falsehood. Therefore, we fall when the test comes because the spirit of truth is not present. Christ now further says, he shall be a witness of me. That is, if he is in the heart, he speaks through you and assures and confirms you in the belief that the gospel is true. Then as a result, the confession of the gospel springs forth. What then is the gospel? It is a witness concerning Christ, that he is God's Son, the Savior, besides him. There is no another. This is what Peter means when he says, Ye are a loyal priesthood, that we are elected thereunto. We preach and show forth the excellencies of Christ. First Peter 2.9 Hence there must always be witnessing. Witnessing loathes upon itself the wrath of the whole world. Then the cross follows, then rebellions rise, then the lords and princes and all who are great become angry. For the world cannot hear, nor will it tolerate this kind of preaching. Therefore the gospel is hated and is spoken against. Reason thinks, I, one can nevertheless easily preach the gospel in a beautifully simple and plain way without a revolution in the world. And then it will be heartily welcomed. This is the utterance of Satan. For if I believe and say that faith in Christ alone does and accomplishes all, I overthrow the monkey play of the whole world and that they cannot allow. Therefore Christ's teaching and man's teaching cannot stand together. One must fall. Priests, monks, as they are at present, are dependent in name. Character works upon human instructions, which the gospel thrusts to the ground. Hence they dare not accept the gospel and they continue as they are. Thus I say that the Christian faith is founded upon Christ alone, without anything additional. The priests will not permit their affairs and institutions to fall. In consequence, seditions and rebellions follow. Therefore, there must be dissension where the gospel and the confession of Christ are, for the gospel opposes everything that is not of its own spirit. If the teachings of Christ and the priests are not antagonistic, they could easily stand together. They are now pitted against one another, as it is impossible as it is for Christ not to be Christ. So impossible is it for a monk or a priest to be a Christian. Therefore, a fire must be kindled. The Lord himself in Matthew 10, 34 and Luke 12, 51 says, I came not to send peace, but a sword. That follows in our text. And ye also bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning. Yes, then first when you be certain and become certain of your faith through the Holy Spirit who is your witness, you must also bear witness of me. For to that end I chose you to be apostles. You have heard my words and my teachings and have seen my works and life and all things that you are to preach. The Holy Spirit must first be present. Otherwise you could do nothing for the conscience is too weak. 
Yes, there is no sin, no small that the consequence can vanquish it. Even if it were so trifling as one as laughing in church. Again, in the presence of death, the conscience is far too weak to offer resistance. Therefore, another must come and give to the timid, despairing conscience courage to go through everything and all those sins be upon it. And it must at the same time be all an almighty courage, like he alone can give who ministers strength. In such way, the courage which before a rustling leaf could cause to fear, now not afraid of all the devils and the conscience that before could not restrain laughing, now restrains all sins. The benefit of fruit of the Holy Spirit is that sin will be changed to the highest and best use. Thus Paul boasted Timothy when he was converted that whereas he had lived such a wicked life before, he now held his sin to be so contemptible that he composed a hymn and sang about it. Thus, 1 Timothy 1, 12-7, I thank him that enabled me, even Christ Jesus our Lord, for he counted me faithful, appointing me to the service. Though I was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, injurious, how bad I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. The grace of our Lord abounded exceedingly with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Faithful is the saying, worthy of all exception, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I'll bet for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me as chief might Christ show forth all his long suffering for an example of them that should thereafter believe on him unto eternal life. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Hope you enjoyed this portion of Martin Luther's sermon. Thank you for listening to Voices of Church Pass. I am your host, Rob Barnhart. May God persevere you steadfast in the one true faith given unto the saints. May, brothers and sisters, one day I stand with you before Jesus Christ, free from sin, free from death, in perfect unity, able to offer up true worship unstained by vision, sin, the world, the devil, freely given as it ought to be given now. To then, God bless.